Hey, this is Rob Weiss. I wrote, produced, and directed on HBO's Ballers, Entourage, and How to Make an America. You're listening to Pada Bing. I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that rigorously examines The Sopranos one episode at a time. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this right now. If you love the podcast, this project, and what it's all about, you know the drill. Take 60 seconds to support it at any level by visiting glow.fm slash potabing. At a minimum, please share this episode or your favorite one with one new person. And follow us on all the socials at potabing, especially Instagram, because that's where we come heaviest. To play in the next trivia show for a chance to win swag, guest on the pod, or just secure permanent bragging rights, DM at Potabang on Instagram. Finally, as always, thank you for listening and being part of this journey. Coming up is a season five, episode one, focused conversation with my friend, Rob Weiss. Rob wrote, produced, and directed on HBO's Ballers, Entourage, and How to Make It in America. And as you'll hear him discuss in our conversation, his own opus, the one that put him in the game, was his film that came out in the early 90s called Monk's Friends. The conversation started as an episode deep dive, but kind of meandered around to other places, as conversations sometimes are wont to do. Heads up, there are spoilers on this episode. So if you haven't watched past the season five premiere, this is your warning. Also, I didn't get to delve into every corner of the episode, as much as I'd like at least. So I'm gonna go back through and post a Pot of Bing Redux companion to it down the road. That's all I got. This was a fun and special chat, and I hope you enjoy. Here's me with Rob Weiss. Do you remember the season? No, I don't. Did it bring back anything? No. It's awesome that I know one fucking episode, and like it, it was 15 so, years ago. So you have no context for why they're not together right now? No, I remember him saying in the episode, he was like, you had the immigrant in here sitting in the kitchen. Furio? So it was Furio. That's what I thought it was. Yeah, it was a it was, zip Furio. Yeah, I remember that. He used to come in every day, and like they used to have coffee together. Right. Whitecaps was the season four finale that led into this episode. Tony and Carmela have a huge altercation. They get into a big fight. Right. And he punches a hole in the wall, and they agree to separate then. That's how it ends. They buy a right. beach house, and then they cancel. Yeah, I was going to ask you how that ended. I, I knew that, you know, obviously I wasn't going to start teeing up the entire fucking series to have a conversation no, no. with you. You are listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that rigorously breaks down The Sopranos one episode at a time. I thought I would kick off season five with a special guest, mix it up a little, and who better than a seasoned writer, producer, and director of numerous hit HBO series, Rob Weiss. Rob, thank you for being a part of this. Uh, You're welcome, man. So today... We are going to talk about two Tonys, and I'm going to somewhat interview you in the process of breaking down this episode. I heard through the grapevine that you were kind enough to watch it twice, which made me have to elevate my game a little. So It's not true, though, and you're about to discover that. Well, so. we'll see. <laughs> well, it will, I'll hold your hand through it. We're talking about two Tonys. It was written by David Chase and Terrence Winter and directed by Tim Van Patten. Originally aired on March 7th, 2004. Rob. 
what was happening in your life back around March of 2004? Where were you and what you know, were you doing? You know, it's so doing? crazy. I think I was, I was actually employed for the first time in uh, five, six years. I think we, we had just started writing Entourage season one. When did season one air? In 2004. So, and it was summer 2004. So it was a few months after that. So we must have just started writing that after some point after New Year's, maybe February, something like that. So the timing, it couldn't be better. Couple of establishing questions. Since you're such a unique guest with a unique point of view on this stuff, I'm going to ask you some nerdy shit, and I apologize for that. That's just how I roll. Thoughts and comments on what makes a good episode title. This episode was called Two Tonys. When you're scribing these episodes that you do, how do you think about title? When does it come to you? Where does it come um, to you? In you general. You know, that's, that's interesting, man, because there's a couple ballers titles that, you know, I think had more significance to me than others. I mean, sometimes, like, I think on ballers, Lev would just go down and, and put some titles on. A couple times, I would do it on my own. I know that I was listening to, like, the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. While I was writing an episode, so I named, like, well, one of the episodes Heads Will Roll or something. Like a lyric from a song? Yeah, no, just the title from a song. I think that, like, you know, I don't know. I try not to do it too hard. What am I trying to say? I don't want to overthink the title okay. thing. So I just like it to be more about essence and vibe toward what the what the episode is. But, you know, on Entourage, like, I might have a title pop into my head. And then we could also, like, on Ballers, at times, you look and you go, oh, we got a title six episodes. So we just rip right through and come up with cool titles. It's yeah. like, it's not always a, um, you know, such a, One a process. Fits all. Right. It's right. We open to the sounds of Emmy Lou Harris's Heaven Only Knows. Oh, that's funny, actually. Like, I was wondering who that was. I was going to Shazam it, but I didn't have my phone for me. It sounded like Dolly Parton. It does kind of, doesn't it? But, yeah. it's, but it's interesting because it's like American pastoral, like flyover country music. Right. Uh, David Chase is doing something here, and I'll tell you what I think he's doing in a second. Establishing shots of the house are centering us back firmly on Soprano land. The wind is blowing, which has been a recurring theme throughout the series. A lot of the stuff I'm going to say to you right now is going to go way over your head like it does for most of the guests that sit in this chair right because i think about the show on a super deep level right. but wind is a character in the show there's some symbolism uh, you've already right. seen seen the whole series i'm gonna jump ahead for a second i have but i haven't seen it in you remember you, know, you remember when tony 10, got shot years. uh i do vaguely yeah Junior he's having the dreams he's and, having the dreams right, he's, Kevin yeah, yeah, he's on the horse and the whole thing there's a, a native american saying that's pinned on his hospital uh okay room it's an ojibwe saying is what the caption says but it talks about wind carrying us through the sky right. in times of trouble so wind has been a character since season one right and we open on a season five premiere with wind so i'm just bringing that right i thought it was just like you know the passage of time we were supposed to know i, I assumed it was fall because of the foliage the and yeah. you know and the pools covered up and you know you kind of got that east coast chill starting to happen we see the barbecue, which is also a throwback to the pilot episode of the series. Again, connecting us back with this world we've been away from. The show was off for over a year. Right. Uh, can't help but also see the symbolism of fire here. Talked to you about this off mic a minute ago. We're going back to the Whitecaps episode and right. the burning down of their marriage. Again, metaphor, symbolism, symbolism on symbolism, every frame of The Sopranos. Then we see the bird feed, which was a reminder of the one of the reasons why the marriage is on the rock. That's where Tony hid his money okay. from Carmela. She found out. She breaks the lock. She goes in and takes it. And then he calls her out on it when they have a big fight. It's epic. Right, right. He knew they were dancing around it, but then finally the Furio thing was the 
impetus to like right. let him go in on it. Next, we see various aspects of the yard that it's unkept. There isn't a man around maintaining or overseeing the upkeep of the yard. And then we see the bedroom window where Carmela threw out all of Tony's clothes. Right. So we're set. We know where we're at. We're back in The Sopranos. Season five in six frames right. has told us basically a right. virtual recap. Right. Then... Meadows car comes Meadows car up comes the driveway, up. full of dirt. Full of dirt. We think we're getting... Over the newspaper, yes. which may or may not be a mob story on the cover. Right. We think we're getting I'm what doing we expect your job now. to get. No, no, I love it. This is what I want you to do. We think we're getting what we expect to get after all these season premieres, right? We get Tony walking down the driveway in his robe, picking up the paper, right. looking at it. The camera's orbiting around his head. It's a classic Sopranos convention at this point. Right. Well, we don't get it this scene. I'll be honest, and my universe used to be centered around this scene, but it puts us off balance. It's a classic David Chase middle finger to convention. Right. But only in this case, it's his own convention because right, he created right, this. Right. But also a subtle reminder that he's not living at home right now. Question for you. What are your general thoughts on Easter eggs or past storyline reminders? How does it impact how you think about your writing storytelling process? I have no clue. When you're doing a show, right. just say season five of Ballers, for okay. example, you got to reestablish the viewer, where we're at, what's going on, what's happening with right. Spencer, what's happening right. in everybody's lives. How does that, what is right, your approach? Right. Uh, listen, you know, I mean, it was, uh, it's, it's an interesting point when you even just reference Ballers in season five because there were a lot of, you know, Twitter debates on where Spencer got all that money to buy the team. Right. But if they paid attention, he sold the network at the end of season four. Mm. So, you know, it's just how much shoe leather you want or how much, uh, you know, exposition, you know, how expository do you want to make it mm. in order to catch people up? I think that, like, either they get it or they, you know, or they don't. Mm. I mean, this episode did a pretty good job, I think, of setting the framework for the season to come, you know, with the release of all the, the wise guys from the 80s. That were in prison. I think there's a ton of setup in this episode. So I don't know what I would have needed to know from the previous season. Yeah. But it was easy for me to jump into. To jump into it. Yeah. Meadow pulls up. I mean, up. I think, you know, at times you got to do it, at times you don't, you yeah. know. But, I mean, I think it's how you do it and what's the most interesting way to tell. There's a lot of different ways to catch people up. Especially on HBO, man. They'll, they'll do it in previews, you know. The recaps, I mean? too. Previews. Yeah, no, that's on. what I mean. Like, yeah. yeah. Do you guys have any take part in that process of recaps or is that done separately by a different team? Like um, setting up? I think that the, you know, the previews, yes, the recaps, potentially, no, I think they just okay. do that. Meadow pulls up, like you said, she's listening to a rap track with an Eastern international flavor. Interesting juxtaposition to all the American country sounds of Emmylou Harris, again with the conventions. Another question that I thought of when I was writing this down, is music in your mind when you're writing or is it mostly an after the fact thing or... How do you think about music? I mean, sometimes it is, sometimes not. You know, it depends on, like, the vibe I'm in. Like, sometimes scenes will pop in my head by listening to music, you yeah. know? Sometimes, like, we're just sitting there and just writing, you know? It's like, you know, no music. I think that... Um, do you write with music or with no music? What's your... I mean, it depends. I have written with music in my life, obviously. Yeah. Um, it more depends on the process by which we're writing. Like, yeah. if I'm sitting in a room with Lev, we kind of, like, on ballers, we just get in and just, you know, pass the computer back and forth and write scenes. We're not really setting a vibe, you know? Mm. I mean, it's just... Mm. It comes... We know later. what it is, and yeah. we just keep going. I think on uh, Entourage, if I was going off to write a draft or an outline, I would listen to music, possibly. 
I mean, I know when I made my movie as a kid, that's all I did when I brought it to music, so. How old were you when you made that movie, by the way? Well, when I made my mob movie. Yeah. My mob opus. No, I'm kidding. When I, when I made my mob indie in Long Island. Amongst Friends? Yeah, it was called Amongst Friends. I was 23 when I wrote it. I think I was like 24. I started shooting it and came out when I was like 26. You didn't have any industry connections then. You were, you were a kid no. on Long Island. Yeah. How'd you make it happen? Um, you know, I was like, it was, I was, you know, searching, man. I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. You know, it was, uh, you know, I, I didn't follow the kind of traditional path I, of like, I went to a, a, a good prep school, Woodmere Academy for the latter half of my high school years. And all my friends that, you know, graduated, we had a small graduating class. Most of them went, went away to universities. You know, I didn't really, I was not a good student, man. I mean, I barely made it out of that school. And I was always a little bit of an artist, so I wound up at Parsons School of Design. Uh, jumped around department to department. Wound up um, leaving the school after a couple of years, becoming a club promoter in and around Manhattan in Long Island. Why'd you leave? You know, I was because I, I kept jumping department to department. Like the first year I was in, I was in. Um, I actually had to mat- my grades were so bad in high school. I had to matriculate in via New School into, I'm not sure if it's a basic studies or foundation, whatever they call it. So I did that, and then I was like, what am I going to do? So, like, I, you know, I, I was like, oh, maybe I could be like Ralph Lauren, you know? So I went into fashion, but that's not really what their fashion design program was uh, designed to be. It was not designed around men's menswear. It's built around women's evening wear, and that's really not my vibe, or it just wasn't. So I didn't really last in there, and then... um I went into illustration. And I just, I just got kind of bored of it because I wasn't, uh, I just wasn't super passionate about any of that. So then I, I wound up throwing a party over that summer at a club in Manhattan called the Tunnel, which had just opened via just the connect we had there. And then I was like, oh man, I'm gonna become a club promoter. So I wound up doing that for a year, but then my head started to get nuts because I needed to do more. Wound up back at Parsons New School, and that's when I went into film. So I went into film, and I did that for a year or so, um, made some shorts and whatever. And then uh, I had some issue in class with some ridiculous, like, tech shoot thing. And I, I don't remember what happened, but but I, I left that school. I, I left that department. And then I just I just went and started writing this movie. Did you know how to write a script? No, but, but and it's so crazy because you couldn't, you know, obviously there's no internet back then. I mean, we're talking fucking internet. This is like 1991. Right? Yeah. I shot it in 91, so it's probably 90 when I'm writing it. But it's like, um, you know, I think I just got a couple scripts somehow, and I just kept looking at the format. What scripts did you get? Do you remember? It's crazy, but I think one of them was like Guilty by Suspicion, that De Niro movie. <laughs> That's you know? awesome. Yeah, so I remember having that. You know, and I was thinking about writing a screenplay a while ago. I pulled Michael Clayton's screenplay off the internet. Right. And I, st- I didn't know how to do formatting or any of right. that stuff. So I literally just got the Michael Clayton screenplay, and then I started typing it verbatim just so I could get into the Rhythm mode. Of, That's why right. I asked that question, right. because it's so I it gets d- you inspired. Well, I didn't even have a—there wasn't, wasn't a laptop back then yeah. either. So there was we no had Final word, Cut. Yeah, we had—well, Final, Final Draft. Draft. Yeah, we had Word Processor, like, and I couldn't figure out how to really get the screen to work. So yeah. I just used it as a typewriter. And when I sat down, I'm like, oh, I'm going to make this short film. And um, I remember I'm like, oh, I'm like 20 pages in, man. Oh, oh, shit, I'm in like 40 pages in. Wow, I still have more story to tell. I'm like at like 50, 60. And I just kept going. And I wound up with like a 130-page script. And then I just whittled it down and whittled it down. And, you know, with my cinematographer at the time, 
who is a pretty sharp guy. And then, uh, you know, we shot it. You made a fucking movie. Well, we started, you know, we raised, I, I can only raise like forty, fifty thousand dollars yeah. and we just shot like a bunch of really cool stuff. And then this producer rep, John Pearson, saw it at a screening we did for it around uh, the IFP, Independent Film uh, Project. And uh, he gave me the rest of the money, which was like around $350,000. Did it play at the Angelica? Like, was it like super Yeah, indie? it did play at the Angelica. It was, uh, it was you know, selected for competition at Sundance in 93. And it was, uh, you know, bought by Fine Line, New Line, and it was released. And that got you in the game. Yeah, for sure. And then I walked myself out of the game. <laughs> and then I got back into the game. And you got game. back into it. But that's life, man. Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah. Next, we're on Tony and Bobby watching uh, Matthew Weiner playing a fictitious mob book author. He's opining on the wave of made guys from New York and New Jersey who are being released from prison. He mentions a violent power struggle, and that very neatly inserts one of the arcs or premises of season five. How did you feel about using a news broadcast to lay foundation for the story? The Rocky movies use this device with great effect. They show what the movie's going to be about. Apollo Creed is watching the TV, right. and it's kind of telling you what this movie is going to be. Uh, what's your overall point of view on the use of it? Of, of doing uh, I, I think it was smart, man. I mean, it's like, you know, I didn't rub on it. I didn't feel like it was very... Uh... You know, I didn't feel like it was a super overused generic device. It's know? not lazy? No, because how else are you going to introduce 10 characters so quickly? Actually, you just said a genius thing. How else are you going to introduce 10 characters? That's super efficient. That's the best efficient way to yeah, do well, it. Yeah, well, that's why they did it. Yeah. Like, what other way are you going to do? How else do you want to, like, go, hey, these are all these players, and they're all getting out of jail this year, you know, and there's this one, that one. You, you see four or five of the guys they talk about in that episode. We learned Carmine Sr.'s consigliere is among one of the... Those and they still released. managed to make it fun because they yeah. still made it about the family and the kids are showing up. What did your mom send? What did mm-hmm. I do with my wedding ring? And, you know... The regularness yeah. of life. Yeah, it was just like, yeah, exactly. Angelo Garepe is the consigliere to Carmine Sr. Then we see Phil Leotardo for the first time, longtime Lupertazzi captain. And in New Jersey, we get... Michele Feach Lamana and Tony Blundetto. Rob, these names are killer and so specific. They give you so much sense of place. How do you think about naming characters in shows? I don't know, man. But I mean, it's how did shit they, na- just how they nail that? Just like I, you know, I would bet that so who are like David Chase and and like Terry Winters, like Terrence Winters, probably grew up with guys with some of these fucking names. I've heard that, and many people have said that. But like, yeah, you just I just, just throw out names. It. Yeah, Tony I mean, Blundetto, yeah. man. It yeah, just that works. is kind of funny. Before Tony he's Blundetto. even before it's even Steve Buscemi, you just hear that name and you're like, yeah, Blundetto. Oh, that guy's yeah, a riser. Funny. Yeah, that guy's a riser. You know, it just sounds right. Yeah, you know. Well, I'll tell you what I thought was kind of crazy was at some point she says later in the episode when they're talking about the the neighbor's dog, Mm -hmm. they're like Esther House. Well, that's kind of weird. Who the fuck is Esther House? Like, that was a weird name. Like, is it like Joe Esther? I was like, what is that? Like, that that sounded like a weird shout out for, that's a weird name for a dog. Someone that they know for sure. Right. So, I mean, I kind of, you know, yeah. We learn that Blundetto is a rising star, the central suspect in the killing of Thomas Gillardi and his driver. There's a spinoff series with some legs. So interesting point of note for obsessive viewers of the show. What we're seeing here is a Carmela run family dinner 
versus a Janice run family right. dinner. Jan's is a shit show. Yeah. Okay. Can no, clams. Can clams. <laughs> nobody's getting off the couch. Nothing's buttoned up. Right. Dinner looks unspectacular at first glance. Whereas with Carmela, Sunday dinner is Thanksgiving dinner. Right. 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 Also, note the lapse in time. When we left Bobby and Janice last, they had just started the courting process, but here we see them as a fully entrenched couple for the first time, and it looks like they eloped, which we don't get to see. We subtly learn this because Janice is going through the trash for her wedding ring. Bobby asks Tony, you want to strap on the bag tone? What does that mean? I thought it was just some kind of crazy, like, slang for, like, fucking eat. Yeah. Okay. I thought so too, but I didn't know if you had that any context, like being a New York guy. Well, I just thought it was like the belly. Strap on the bag, yeah. yeah. You know, he wore a fat suit, right? Steve Sharippa? He actually wore a fat suit to to become Bobby, yeah. I didn't realize that. And then he slowly gained weight over the series. Right. But in the beginning, they had him in a a suit. It had had, had a top and a bottom. Right, slap on the bag. Cut to Carmella coming home. The garage shot. That's another blast from the past. Right. AJ's upstairs playing drums. He's not helping out around the house like Carm wants him to. So she sends him outside to help, and he walks right into a bear inhabiting their backyard. Now, the bear, Rob, is a metaphor here, most clearly. But what's your reaction creatively to inserting this unexpected twist? My reaction is, is uh, where are we getting a bear? Is the bear going to be trained? Uh, what's, what's the going rate on bears for the day? Love it. Um, the producer. No, i I, I mean, like, no, I, 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 mean I, rem- I remembered by the bear that I'd seen this episode before. And the, the defining thing that happened in this episode that reminded me I'd seen it was the, what does it smell like, burning hair? Yeah. You know, that's Someone's like the famous thing. Yeah, because every time like I smell burning hair in my life, I think I'm having a stroke, and then I'll see that somebody's on fire. <laughs> it's usually a reference to this fucking episode. But, but um, yeah, the question about the bear, I mean, you know, again, you're talking about a super premium one-hour hit show. I mean, they had the... They're flexing. You know, yeah. Are they flexing? They could, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that it's so grand. I just think that, you know, they could do whatever they want to do. But it's bigger than TV, though, right? I mean, this is like, we want a bear on the fucking set, they're going to get a bear. Yeah, it was kind of cool, though. You know what I mean? I mean, it was obviously a circus bear. The way it stood on that table, it was like a seal. It was perfect. It was very trained. It was just shampoo. Yeah, it was perfect. To me, the bear is kind of another version of Tony. Okay, and well, re- that's why I thought it was called the uh, two Tonys. The two Tonys, right. It's a recognition that since he's not around, other predators can stake right. that turf for their own. Right, that, and it just goes around doing whatever the fuck it wants yes. and stepping on whatever it wants mm-hmm. and taking whatever it wants. and like, Just like Tony. Yeah, and there's all these rules to how to fuck with it, you know, just like Tony. Like, you can't just shoot it, you can't, you know. You can't, uh, what does he tell me? He goes, you can't... Uh, you know, a firearm, some. What does he say? You, you can't, can't discharge a firearm in the Discharge a firearm, exactly. Yeah. Uh, same little house in the fucking prairie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Did anything make you laugh out loud this episode? Did anything make you chuckle? I know it's hard to make you laugh. I know you No, I don't remember. I, yeah. I mean, maybe it did. I don't when, remember. When, when, when Carmel- you get to it, I'll go, oh, that made me laugh, but okay. I don't remember. All right. I'm curious what made you laugh in this because I, I fall out of my chair laughing watching this show, and it's not a comedy. That's but, crazy. I'm trying to think of anything what could have been funny. Why didn't you call me when this first happened? I called the cops. They called Fish and Game. What are you trying to prove? You're independent? This isn't a little house on a fucking prairie. Those things are dangerous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next, we see that Tony and Valentina is still a thing. Did you remember her when you saw her? No, but uh, you kind of vaguely, yeah. And she's the art dealer. 
Right. But she actually is not really an art dealer. She works at a at like an art store, but she okay. called herself an art dealer. Right. He's still very much transactional with her, meaning right. he does his thing and then he's out. He doesn't right. hang around like he did with Arena. He loved some of his Gumars, but he doesn't love this one. Right. This one is strictly business, and he's letting they're letting you know that right off the bat after the rendezvous. Um, so New Jersey Animal Control comes by to inspect the bear situation, and note that one of them gives Carmela a look. The bear was replaced by a new predator or a prowler. Again, all while Tony isn't around. And this is setting up a whole other season storyline, Carmela's post-separation love life. She's eyeing people, right? She's like, right. I can't have Furio. I'm going to start with this guy. And as you know, later in this episode, you got uh, David Stratheran. Uh, he is a teacher, uh, oh, AJ's okay. teacher, and they have a little bit of a fling <clears throat> this season. Okay. So it's setting the stage for I'm that. A, am I actually going to have to watch this whole fucking season after this? If, I, if I, gotta, you, I, have to, I should watch this whole series again, to be honest. If with you me. walk out of here yeah. motivated to watch the show again, I think few things would make me happier. Okay. If this energy that so I have, so that's really the that's really the intent behind this podcast is to get more people to watch it. No, no. The intent is to be able to share a life changing series for me right. with people that I care about. I like know? that. I like that. And and honestly, uh, the show has been an old friend for three stages of my life. Gotcha. As a student, as a husband, and now as a father. Interesting. And so I spend time with it. Well, like how a, many times have you seen all these episodes? At least thirty. Each time? Each yeah. episode? Yeah. I watch things one time and that's it. Like, unless, like, I'm Everything trying... else I do one time. There's movies that, like, if they're on, I'll watch them. I can't turn them off. But, you know, I mean, shit, man. We made Entourage. Like, I watched each episode when it aired. I never, I never saw another episode again. Now you don't go back. Not a shot. I never saw any There's of them. something man. different about this one. I don't think I've ever seen any of these shows I've worked on, like, more than the episode that premiered, and then that was it. But you have actually watched them once, at least. Yeah, for sure. I know some people that for don't sure. even watch them. They're there, they do their job, and then they're done. They yeah. move on to the next. You segued beautifully to my next question. Tony and Valentina are channel surfing and stumble upon the Prince of Tides. Right. Uh, and he demands they go back and let him watch. I can relate to that because I always do that when I'm channel surfing with my wife. Right. Stop. What movie or couple movies are like that for you? Every time they're on, you will become a little boy again. And you'll say like, the world around you, just give me 10, give me five minutes with it. What comes I mean, to the things I can watch over, like I'm, I could never turn Goodfellas off. There I could go. never turn Scarface off. I mean, the Godfathers really don't run very often. So um, I'm thinking about things that, I, that, that are on the movie channels that I'll be like, shit, I got to watch that. Later, we're with the crew at the Bing. Polly and Christopher are retelling the Pine Baron story, another nice season premiere tieback. Right. Do you remember that episode? I, I know it's one of the more famous episodes where they're in the woods the whole time. Yeah, the Russian. Yeah, I had, so I had vague recollection of it, and then the guy never turned up. Right? Never turned up. Right, he's, still right. at, he's still at large. Right, and that's like people, the Russian is the one who came in at the end to kill Tony. That like, was one of the theories, for yes, sure. Right. I, I have, yeah, I have memories. What do you think made that episode resonate with so many for so long? Why that episode? Any? I, I don't know. I'd have to see that episode again. Okay. But the same way you said the one where they kill, like, you know, Big Pussy, that yeah. was like one of those episodes. And then when Tony gets shot with the dream, sequence that's yeah. the one where he's on the horse yeah i mean these are the only episodes of the series that i remember but see, off you still, the top you of my still head. remember them that's what i'm saying like right you... because they're so you they're slightly altered from the norm of the way the tone plays you know what i mean they're somewhat they're standalone just, yeah they're, they're just slightly off of what you've come to expect and i think that's the uh that's the point of impact you know what did you think of the ending of the show 
uh, the diner scene. Like, yeah, was, I always loved it, man. We've talked about that, yeah. you know, in our, in our free time. What was your reaction? Um, well, I think like everybody else, I think, like, what the fuck happened on my TV? You know what I mean? But but looking back on it, and as a creator, as a writer... Well, because like, you're just watching it going, what's going to happen? And you're looking at the clock, and you're like, I know this shit's going to end it's in gonna a second. End. yeah. But I remember not being as bothered as most people. Not, no, I don't remember if I was fully satisfied, but... You think it's aged well? The series is obviously aged well because it feels like, you know, so many people are still relevant. People are listening in some to way, this yeah. fucking podcast 20 years later. Yeah, it's crazy. It's definitely aged it's well, crazy. man. It's like a bottle of wine in a cellar. Bro, listen, I see, the, I see the reaction to Entourage. Like, I'll meet all these 20-something kids who are, like, talking about Entourage. I'm like, dude, you were 10 when that shit aired. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you know, they all just discovering it now. Yeah, it's a new generation of people yeah. that are listening to so it. so it's great, listening man. To you hope that's what you hope for with these, with these projects, these series. Paulie and Christopher get into it. This is bad blood that they've had yeah. dating back a few seasons. It finally comes to a head again. When you're writing, how natural or difficult is it to write inside banter like this between groups of guys? I mean, it's pretty natural for me. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Like, I prefer that the dialogue's flashy and sharp. So, you know, it is definitely a matter of giving every single person in the conversation a perspective and something to say. Do you always have an anchor speaker in the group? Well, somebody wants something or else you don't have a scene, there you right? Go. So what, what does Christopher want in that scene, you know? like He wants to establish that it was all fucking Polly's fault. Right, and why does he want to do that? So that the blame is off of him and it makes him look better. Right, because he's tired of being the fucking underling to Polly and he right. wants to fucking... He wants to step up. Yeah, and be stake of, his claim, right? Yeah. So, I, I mean, love what you he said. Has, I'm saying he has, he has, you know, there's a want. Yeah. So somebody's got to want something. Nobody else really says anything in that fucking scene. I mean, you no, have the guy. They, they chime in. You got Vito. He's like, yeah, Patsy. you lost your shoe. Oh, yeah. I didn't hear that part. And then you get the other guys like, yeah, oh, that's a great story. You know, like, yeah, we killed that guy right. in the trunk. And the guy's like, oh, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's like nobody really says anything except yeah. for the two except of them. Except for the two of them. Chris brings up the shoe, and like you just did, and that is a wonderful hearkening back to one of the best lines of the series. I'll leave you here, you want you, cocksucker. The delivery of the the line, if you look at the line on the page, right. it just looks like you one-shoe cocksucker. But then you see the value and the beauty of a transcendental actor delivering those lines, and right. it becomes it becomes three-dimensional comedy. Right. Have you, Rob, ever been lost in the woods or anything remotely similar to this, short of having a body in your trunk, of course? Has have anything I like that ever, ever happened had, to you? Have I ever been lost in the woods? Caught up somewhere, is car breaks the woods, down. Is the woods a metaphor for life? If you is want to. Is the woods a metaphor for a relationship? Wilderness? Because then the answer is yes. Of course. I've been lost in the woods. Um, literally, no. I don't believe so. Although I do feel like I have, but I can't fully place it. I know that, that I feel like... Like, I, I hike a lot, but I but I, I feel like there was one time where I'm like, where the fuck are we? Yeah, and you didn't have cell phone problems. And then we came out. Yeah, and then we came out, and I was like, oh, shit. Next, the Melfi stuff. Tony wants to date his I psychiatrist. Know. I know. I saw the episode. Big sort of thing that has finally come back. What's your take on the scenario? Asking a therapist or other professional out. Good idea? Bad idea? Weigh in on the rules of engagement here. Well, I mean, there's, I mean... I mean, for me personally, I wouldn't do it, obviously. But, um, you know, 
I mean, I, I don't like to conflate like my relationships like that, but I thought it was epically crazy when he grabbed the face and just planted the kiss on her. Yeah. I'm like, this is so pre the Me Too movement. Right. You're like, look at this guy. He's like, get over here. And he's like, you don't get it. I want you. I want your skin. Mm. I want your mouth. You're like, oh my God. It was a lot to watch, you know? So, uh, yeah, but for me personally, uh, I don't know. Did he sell it? Did he sell it to you as a viewer? Like the way... I think he did, you know? I think they both sold it. I think she, you know, was selling. She's a little bit conflicted. Yeah. Right? It was like a little bit of ambivalence. Like, um, But I think she sold the, you know, the anxiety about it and the attraction of it. Did it make you uncomfortable? No, it didn't make me uncomfortable, but I was like, I mean, were they trying too hard? Like, did he really want her? Is that really what he wants? Like, Yeah, because he could have anybody, right? Yeah, what's yeah. that? She even says that. Explain to me, okay, why this is a matter of such importance to you. There must be plenty of women out there. But what's the power play? What was it? Like, you know, it's like... Well, there is something to be said, and we've talked about it on the podcast before, where... There is like a population of people that fall in love with their therapist. There are because yeah, you say things that you've never said to anybody before. You verbalize things. That's the whole one of the most fundamental tenets of therapy, right? Is verbalizing stuff that is just floating around in your brain. You can't verbalize it with your spouse, you can't verbalize it with your friends, right. but you you create this box of space where you can say anything to anybody. Me speaking from experience, like I've said things to my therapist that I've never said to anybody. Right. And that's intimate. Yeah. And he's I don't done, know, this, man. I'm pretty, done this with I'm her pretty, for five yeah, I'm years. I'm pretty transparent. So I'm, you know, I mean, I've, I've done therapy at yeah. length, but I mean, first off, my therapist was a man and it's just not, you know, that's not my, uh, that's not my persuasion. So, you know. Well, full uh, disclosure, right. <laughs> I chose a female therapist because of the Tony Soprano fantasy. Is that really true? See, I would, see, I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't go to a female therapist. I don't, not that. I don't know. I don't. I don't know that that would. You know what I mean? Maybe I'd be scared. I'd be scared of being judged from my point of view on things, or something. I don't know. Yeah. It wouldn't be my first inclination. I'm not saying I wouldn't. Yeah. It would not be what I would. I would not be immediately comfortable with the concept of it. The same way, I'm not immediately comfortable with the concept of a male masseuse. You know what right. I mean? Right. Well, that's but, a little bit different. Yeah. But it's not. That's like, hands on. No, but I'll go. Right. But I'm saying, like, like I'll, I'll get like an upright chair massage from a guy. Right. But you if know you're laying, what I mean? If you're laying prostrate, my chiropractor's got me on his table and he's working on my neck and like you know he gives like a good squeeze of the shoulders and massage and like I'm alright with it. But like if I'm gonna be under the sheet with just a towel, like I just I would just prefer a woman's touch. That's it. You yeah. Know? The thing with the woman for therapy is that I feel like they would give more pushback. I might be wrong on that. I know, but like, I, I like just pushback. like, you know, there's ways men think and there are ways that women think. And I, I don't want to come across like, like it's just black or white because I know everything's gray zone, but. Do you have any, obviously the answer to the question is obvious because Tony was referred to Dr. Melfi in the beginning. Dr. Right. Cusimano, their neighbor, referred him. But do you have any thoughts on why he chose a female therapist? I don't know. You know, it's interesting because now that I'm really thinking about this, things, I'm more comfortable having certain conversations with women than I am men. You know, I don't know offhand, but I know, like, if I go to Audra, who's cutting my hair, or, like, you know, I'm with this person, that person, or whatever it is. Yeah. The certain things. So maybe for him, he's just more comfortable with it. But I also think wasn't part of the reason he was driven there was because his mother was responsible. So maybe it was kind of like a substitute of... 
being able to lash out at her via his therapist or something. That's dead accurate, man. Right. Of course. Our great man, what is this, a fucking test? No, but you I'm just, me saying all kinds of crazy no, shit. Yeah, saying, just move you're, on, You're Vic. saying profound yeah, stuff. I it's know. like affecting me, man. It's just, no, it's like a, I'm rambling. One of the reasons I'm in therapy is because of my mother. Mother, do you think they'll drop the bomb? From Melfi getting asked out, uh, right. we cut to Carm. The bear is back. Note Carm is wearing the Fila tracksuit, tacitly representing that other family of theirs since Tony isn't around. We haven't seen her in one of those yet, velour tracksuit. Tony comes in and overhears Carm's phone call about the bear. Rob, I heard you had a swarming hornet's nest at your house. Not quite the same as a bear, but pretty equivalent. How'd you let it get so big, first of all? And what happened? How'd you solve that problem? That's epic. Um, <laughs> well, we had just, I had just built this, uh, like, kind of rehab. It's not even a rehab, but I just, uh, give, me, give me the building terms here, Vic. Refurbished? No, I just, I, I built this deck and I put in, like, this crazy wolf range and yeah. all shit and fridge and ice maker and this whole counter with the sink. So I, it, everything's covered on the deck when we're not using it. And then I had people coming over to watch a fight and there's an outdoor TV and my brother and his girlfriend and, and their baby who was only a few months old at the time came over and they were like, yo, be careful. There's a lot of bees over there by the sink, you know, by, by the thing. So I, I go looking around the bend and I'm like, yo, that's not a lot of bees. That's, that's insanity. And they're flying in and out of this tarp. That's, you know, the cover for the barbecue in the whole outdoor kitchen. So they built a nest inside the tarp. Right. So it's dark and it's cool because of the refrigerator and there's a sink there with a hanging faucet. So my boy Andy goes over and tries to give the thing a tug and they just start swarming. He gets stung on the eye. Right. And I'm like, yo, there's a serious problem under, under that, under that cover. So I go upstairs and I literally like, man, I, you know, my kid's there, my nanny's there. Your kid must have thought it was pretty cool, actually. Yeah, he's watching yeah. and with his friend, Andy's son, Bronx, and there's always people. And then my brother Danny's trying to find, like, you know, it would turn out he would find this a beekeeper. But I go upstairs and I put on, like, you know, a hat and gloves and a hoodie and pull of clothes and glasses and every, every way to protect myself from, you know, being exposed, uh, you know, skin-wise. And I go downstairs, and I pull this thing, like, over the, the faucet of the sink. And, bro, I take off so fast that I leap outside of my slides. I'm wearing slides with socks. I run out of them. Bro, there are thousands, I mean thousands and thousands of bees building a hive hanging off the faucet so it's all beeswax dripping like giant bubbles of beeswax i'm like holy fucking shit now they're going crazy i'm like everybody in the house lock the doors so my assistant's like oh i can't get a beekeeper till monday i'm like yeah no 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 so what does my, a beekeeper do well they round them up so my brother actually got some guy on the phone that wasn't part of a greater service you can't spray them Bro, are you crazy, dude? I, were, I'm asking. Bro, there were 10,000 bees. The guy goes, there were 10,000, roughly 10,000 bees. Spray them. Have you lost your fucking mind, bro? <laughs> like a hose. I would literally get a water hose and just be like, fuck, bro, get it. Like, go. Bro, I would go bro, Scarface no, on them. Bro, no? Bro, forget it, dude. No. So, 
So they basically, you know, every place like, oh, we can't do it, we can't do it. So my brother keeps trying. He finds some woman answers from like a beekeeper, right? And she's like, uh, you know, and I'm like, listen, get this guy to my house, give him 200 right now. So this Israeli beekeeper, Moshe, <laughs> sort of got true shit, comes up to my house, right? And he's like, I need everybody to go inside house, you know, whatever, right? So Was he jacked? No, nah, he's young though. He's probably like in okay. his 40s, okay. 50, but you know. It would be uh, all too cool if he was like an ex-Israeli, like No, but guy. that's what he felt like. He felt like an armed forces guy yeah. for sure. So he's like, I'm going to go downstairs, take a look, right? We're upstairs in the bay window in my dining room, staring down. Are you documenting it? Yes, I have it all. It's on my Instagram. If nice. anybody wants to go look at it, it's like, there's a, it's the story. Uh, with at the Rob Weiss. Yeah, it's just a story with the B. So basically, he goes downstairs, he gets stung on the neck, right? And like, so my boy Andy's like, oh, Moise just took one. You just see, like, he, he didn't even have his hood on. He forgot that he didn't have the mask on yet. He was just going to assess. And then literally, what he does is he peels it, you know, he's, he's, he's pretty much clad in like, beekeeper gear you know and and then he goes searching for the queen and he pulls her out of the pile and he throws her in a box and like honestly most of them follow and then he like kind of neutralizes and chills them out with some like cedar smoke and he's like scooping them in he's just like scooping them up with his gloved hand and dumping them in this box and sadly what happens is there were probably like a thousand or so left that didn't make it in the box and they don't know where to go because they can't go join another, family. you know, family, a Plan. hive or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, because they're not accepted because they lost their queen and they were just sitting in my house on the side of like this kitchen, like all clumped together like a giant lump waiting and then they just slowly died off or vanished. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Heavy duty. But bro, I, I mean, I have everything, man. You want to talk about the bears, bro? I fucking, I, I was hiking, uh, I was literally hiking six months ago. I, I'm on the trails. Come out of the trails. I'm back on the streets. And I live up in the hills by the Hollywood sign, right? Up Beachwood Canyon. I come around a turn and I see this dog like between like the wall of a little mini compound house and a car parked outside. And I'm like, I'm like is that a fucking dog? I'm like, it's a weird looking dog. And then I'm like... Oh, that's not a dog. I'm like, I said, what is that? Is that a coyote? Why is it orange? Fucking disappears. And then I stop and I slowly take out my phone and it comes down and peeks its head out of me. It's a fucking bobcat. And this is on a Sunday at like noon. Mm. And I'm like, oh shit. And he was like, a, he was like a thick little dude. You know what I mean? So. Do the coyotes come up in your area? In bro, the, I have everything. Yeah, I mean, we bobcats, got coyotes, coyotes. I have rabbits live in, in my, like, you know. Within like the uh, gates and walls of my house. I so got... my son gets the pots and pans when the coyote packs come down. Yeah. And I always do the Tony Soprano line from this yeah. episode. Like, what are you trying to prove, Sammy? Yeah. This ain't a little house on the fucking prairie. Yeah. Okay. Stay, in, stay inside, buddy. No, I love it, man. Yeah. I get the deer, the raccoon. Oh, we got everything. LA. LA is is a different animal for a lot of people, but yeah. we do have a lot of nature. There's it's, bro up by me. It's crazy, yeah. man. And it's it's great. It's crazy. It's wonderful. Okay, I love it. Snakes, everything. Okay, so the animal control guy gives Carmela a glance, and Tony catches it with his peripheral vision because he's always 10 steps ahead of all these right. motherfuckers, right? He's always playing chess, not checkers. He offers them money to diminish them, right? Right. right. They refuse, though. They take right. the high road, right? right? Why do you think that bothered him so much? He gave him a look like, you know, not that I'm going to kill you, but it got under his skin. What do you think it 
made him feel when they refused his Well, because they didn't exist in his world. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it was just an alpha, it was an alpha move. Like, they're in my world. Like, oh, thank you, Mr. Soprano. Right. And they it was more like, fealty. nah, we don't want your money. And, they you didn't know, kiss but, the ring. And it wasn't also, it was earnest. Like, they were like, oh, no, we can't take the money. And, and you know, we don't wear whistles. He wasn't being like a dick. He's like, oh, we don't wear whistles. Yeah. It's like, you don't think that was a dig? I thought that was a little bit of a dig to impress Carmella. I thought he was trying, I thought that guy was trying to, like, up his game by saying. I don't know, because I remember just looking at his face going like, oh, I think he really means it. Like, he's really letting him know oh, he doesn't wear whistles. Because like, Tony was digging him with the word lanyard. Go get yourself some new lanyards or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I didn't feel like it was, like, a pissy match. I felt like the other guy was just cool. The kitchen scene between Tony and Carmella is epic. Tony's drinking orange juice out of the container, which is a symbol from the show as well. It drives Carmella crazy. Well, it's also like his way of pissing, you know what I mean? He's like mocking like, this is my house. Right. He's like a bear. Yeah. You know? And orange juice, as you know, back from the Godfather movies, is very symbolic. Is somebody going to die? So you're thinking, is something bad going to happen here? Not quite death, but they get into a big argument. All I said was I want to see statements from the tutor or he doesn't get paid. He's a college kid, Tony. He's not set up for that. You worry he's going to soak you for an extra pencil? Oh, rimshot! Carmella asks why he's making her life hard. Financially difficult. Yes. What I think, Tony, is you're trying to make my life now as hard on me financially as possible. Oh, it should be easy. Um, unbelievable. What do you think? You're the only Catholic here, Carmella? I'm old school. I don't believe in a separation shit and, and divorce. Even if my wife was going after some fucking immigrant... Right. Any takeaways or reactions to this interaction between them when you saw it again after all these years? Did it pull you in? Did you feel anything? Did you have any reaction? Did you have any response? I think it's just classic, you know? It was just, uh, you know, super the go-to of old world values. And I mean, I don't, I don't have that. I'm not Catholic, you know what right. I mean? So, I mean, we have Jew guilt, but I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I of course, believe in divorce, but mostly I just believe in not getting married to begin with. But, um... I'm kidding, <laughs> I'm joking. Like, I, I mean, I think everybody should do whatever makes everybody happy. But, you know, it looked like both of them were taking the position that served them best to take, you know? And yeah. I mean, I, I felt like if you're asking me which side of the argument I believe more, is obviously his. I felt like she was like, he used modern conveniences to track him down. I don't really know what, what modern technology has to do with old world values, but... Like, He's, I get it. Like, you know, first off, I mean... I, I'm with you. I get it, too. I, we feel that same discovery. Like, it's yeah. like a territorial thing. Yeah, well, listen, I mean, you but know... But nothing happened I, between her and Fury. Right, and he's been like, what? He's been, like, sleeping with chicks the entire run of the show. And so he tells her, he's told her that you know what you signed up for, basically. He said that to her. Right, so then, you know, listen, man, you know, it's a two-way street. Everybody got to do what everybody's got to do, son. Feech Lamana yeah. in the house. Rest in peace, Robert Loggia. Robert, Robert Loggia. There he is. The man, the legend. Feech Lamana. Question. Introducing new characters in a season. This is something that The Sopranos is a master class in, right? right? Presenting an antagonist to Tony Soprano. First, you got Richie Aprile. Right. Then you get Ralph Cifaretto. Right. Now you get... Feech Lamana. Talk about... Why, does he become like an adversary? He becomes an adversary. Oh, okay. he, he, he rubs Tony the wrong way. They send him back to jail. They set him up. Right. In a few episodes, they get him to have his parole officer check out his garage, and they have a bunch of TV stored in there that Christopher right. planted. Right. And it's to get him out. Right. He fine. wanted to earn. He wanted to be back, but he just kept on jawing. Yeah, because he says, he goes, don't, don't, you know. Don't. He's always got a story. When doesn't he? 
Yeah, but he goes, look, I'm thinking about getting back in. I want to do a list. And he's like, yeah, don't step on no toes. No toes. He's like, no, nah, I'm like Fred Astaire, yeah. And Junior and Tony look at each other. Yeah. And they're basically communicating to the viewer. Like, how much does this guy want to, like, yeah. yeah this guy's going to be a problem. Yeah. What are your thoughts on bringing in a Feech-like character into a well-oiled, top-of-its-game show? How do you think about balancing existing characters with these new characters. Do you have any opinion or any sort of like behind the scenes inside baseball on that? Well, I mean, we've we've introduced tons and tons of, of characters across yeah. all, all three shows I've been involved in. So I mean, you know, you just like I like I said, man, it's like uh serving unique purposes and different voices and points of view. You know, it, it would be it, it would not work if they just kept stacking new you know, new characters who were exactly like the last character. So I think that that's really is like, how do you give them some uh, kind of unique, you know, story or point or place or something? Any general rules for creating an antagonist? I know that sounds overly like academic, but like, you know, okay, uh, like for example, for Spencer, I'll just, you know, like we need, we need him to have some conflict. Like are there attributes or elements that you're going to immediately put down on your... On well, your... I think a lot of like Spencer's, you know, conflict comes from within himself on the show. Okay. You know, it's like he, it's that duality of who he is. And yeah. I think that like if I was creating, you know, villains and antagonists, I, I'd want to try to find things about them that, you know the flaws and then try to find the positive attributes as well. You know what I mean? It's like uh, complex characters. Duality. Yeah, just not create some one-dimensional bad guy. I feel like, the, you know, you know, it would be like going, hey, my brother's getting back from jail. And you're like, hey, it's family, it's loyalty, it's mm. love, and it's honor. And then you go like, oh, he's a scumbag. And they start to go like, oh, look at this, like uh, bloodlines. Yeah. Where you go like, hey, they're all from the same family. You know, I'm talking about the right. key, the key show. Yeah, like the brother, that, but the Dick brother is actually the coolest part of that show. I mean, that show like Ben just, Mendelsohn. Yeah, yeah. But but like when when that guy died at the end of the season, you're like, where the fuck are they taking the show? It's like that that guy should have died in season five. He was the key to holding it all together. Yeah, that's how I felt about Richie. And they've gone on record with this uh, saying that Richie killing Richie off early in season two was a mistake. Well, you know, we killed Vince on Entourage in season one, but we reshot it. Why? Because we killed him in episode eight, man. And then we like. You're trying to do a Game of Thrones thing before Game of Thrones? Kill off yeah, the main character? Yeah, we, we wanted, yeah, it was going to be like, oh, let's see what the three guys do without a movie star. And then like HBO was like, nah, you know, let's keep him alive and keep the show more fun. I'm was, fucking joking, bro. Look yeah, at your yeah, face, bro. yeah. I'm kidding, man. No, you had me face. going down there, but then I was like, no, that doesn't, kidding, that doesn't even joking. work. It's a joke, bro. <laughs> you know, Ned Stark. You know, the first three episodes of Entourage that we wrote, none of them got shot. Like, we had, like, me, Doug Allen, uh, well, we sat down, so obviously they made the pilot before I joined, and, and then I joined uh, the staff with Doug, and Larry Charles was there as a supervisor to help her on the show, right, because Doug was still young and learning yeah. how to do it. Yeah. And um, the three of us wrote the first three episodes, episodes two, three, and four. So, <laughs> it's so funny, man. I don't I don't know if Doug's probably told this story before, but... So basically, we break the episodes, and Doug's episode was that, like, which is still stay true to what aired, was that the, a bad review came in on the movie, but in this version, Vince was really depressed about it, right? And then episode three, we wrote a draft, Larry wrote it, and that was Vince was on Howard Stern to promote the movie, 
and but you never see them, and you only see the three guys who are in a limo coming and going, and they're listening in New York, and they're listening to the Stern Show. And then episode four, which I was writing the first draft of, because I think me and Doug co-wrote the first thing I wrote, but was that Turtle and Drama lost Laker floor seats that belonged to Vince at a rub and tug. They lost them at a rub and tug. <laughs> While Vince, Vince had committed to doing a charity event, but he didn't know, know it was for landmine victims. And he was melted down by the concept of amputees or whatever it was, like visuals. He, like, he, he was like... Um, Haunted by it for somebody I can't remember so long ago. So he was, you know, and uh, and the late great Michael Duncan, Michael Clark Duncan was in the script. Like, oh yeah, it was like I mean, not for real. He yeah. wasn't going to do the episode, but I just wrote it that way. And he was like, it was his charity, and Vince like muster strength. So I whatever was ridiculous. So basically, we wrote those three episodes, and then HBO was just like, no. But it was really on episode two. I think Chris Wahlberg was like, no, I want these guys to have fun. These guys are like. You know, they're just they're embodying the dream of being in the town. And he, Vince doesn't get depressed. And he really helps steer it into a kind of way. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, into a different direction. The West Wing was originally supposed to be a story about the staff. And right. the president, Martin Sheen, was like ancillary. He wasn't right. even going to go. that's what HBO Was that wanted. what Entourage was going to yes, do? Too? It was about the guys, was not about Vince? I like, wasn't. Uh, yeah, I wasn't at. I wasn't. You know, at Entourage yet. I wasn't on that team at that point because it was in development. But at some point in conversation, they were like, we never see Vince. Right. And they wanted, the notes were to show more Vince. Yes. Interesting. Well, no, it became like we should show Vince. But it's also interesting to like, there's always like that guy. Because was Vince supposed to be based off Mark Wahlberg? Is that? Yeah, that was, I mean, the idea. Sure. So it would be cool to have him in a room up there with the door closed and all the stuff's going on around him, just like with the West Wing. That, that was their idea. But the studio, but, the suits wanted that mythological guy right, to be in the right. room too. Because the, right, viewer, that, the right. viewer would want that. I mean, I think it was just part of the conversation. Yeah. I can't tell you how committed they were to that idea because I wasn't there. Like, yeah. I wasn't a part of the, of the dialogue back then. Back on Polly and Chris for a second, the bill-paying quandary. Any thoughts on the etiquette of that? Rules of engagement for paying bills when you're with the guys? Um, no, I mean, we all just kind of pick it up sometimes and we chop it up, you know. What about the waiter that got stiffed later? What's your philosophy on bad tipping? Do you Are you a good tipper no matter what? Yeah, or I do just you have standards? 20%, man. I mean, I no just, matter what, right? Yeah, well, I mean, what do you mean? Have to do it compared to what? What would you do? As opposed to being a bad tipper. Well, what's a bad tipper? A bad know. tipper is like less than 20% or, or like uh, Christopher in this case. Um, what did he say? I'm tapped out. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I thought that was a little push that the guy would come outside and make a whole to-do out of it. A little know. too outside Soprano. It was a little TV. I, I, was, well, I was hoping I just you'd say that. I didn't believe that guy would like come up to like a table full of mob guys. I mean, these guys are pretty like, you know, cliche group of mob guys. You look at it, you go like, all right, he's obviously like, you know. Did you, the first time you Animales, like, I'm yeah. just, you know, I'll just fucking let it slide on the tip. First off, on parties of like six or eight or more, they should include the tip it's anyway. Included. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, what the fuck was that? Actually, that should have been the dialogue. As Christopher should have said, there were 12 fucking people at that table who should have included the tip. And the guy's like, well, we don't do that. And he's like, well, that's your fucking problem. <laughs> he's like, that's a you problem and not a me problem. That's really what it should have been like. I love it. And then the guy's like, no, it's a you problem. Fuck you. And yeah. Or something. And then he like hits him with the brick or whatever. But Yeah. This is why it's great because you can do better versions of it when I you aren't written your that quarterback. I could have written that scene better. But what the value in that scene is that these like two idiots are like going back and forth over nonsense 
And then, you know, it basically knocks some, like, guy, like, unconscious or he's having, like, some kind of seizure or something. And that they bond over that causes them to squash their beef because, you know, they were, like, you know, they were, it was a complicit actor, these two guys. They obtained some clarity through killing someone else. Right. Well, you no, know, they're which back is, which in is it so together. Funny. No, because they're, like, they literally, they, they bury bodies together. So it's, like... They got the goods on each other. They're in the pit together. You know what I mean? Like they've, they've, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like absolutely. They're, they're, no, that's actually. You, so they, they rebonded over that, you yeah, know? That it took like a man's poor, life. Poor guy's soft, suffering. It took a man's so life to get them to make up. Yeah. To yeah. bury the hatchet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like, look, it's stupid, you know? Yeah. We see how short life could be. <laughs> but the way they shrug off yeah. life. It's, it's yeah. so interesting that you said it that way because I hadn't thought about it like that. Because I was going to ask you, like, what the hell do you think made Polly just bury the hatchet all of a sudden? I think it was this recognition that, like you said, like, we're really fighting about shit. Yeah, well, it's like nothing. It's nothing. And someone yeah. had to die because of it. By the way, like, it's not even, like, I mean, maybe because it was 04, but I remember looking last night when I was watching being like, it's not that pricey a check for, like, the fact that there were, like, 12 dudes around the table. That's a good call. Uh, Carmine Sr. has a stroke. Signaling yeah. the power struggle from last season is still a hot-button item. That was a big thing in season four. And this is a great little device to set up the fact that Johnny Sack is going to try to yeah. angle. Next, Melfi dreams about Tony. This is new. We haven't seen very many dreams from other people's point of view. Right, it's her point of view. It's right. her point of view. Is that a body double? I don't know, man, because she is topless, right? Yeah. I don't remember. I, I didn't rewind. What are your general thoughts on dream sequences? I mean, I did it. I did it a couple times yeah. on Ballers. Yeah. You know, I mean, we wrote uh, the first episode I directed of Ballers actually had the dream sequence where the guys are walking down the street. Right. And then DJ's kind of like, you know, stop. And he goes walking and you see red flickering on him and he's staring into like this, like, you know, fiery kind of crevice. And you're like, what the hell? And then he wakes up and you realize it was like, you know some dream of doom, like he's going to lose all his friends if he walks away from, uh, mm. you know, the company. But, um, you know, I mean, I, I like it, you know, but I, I just, I, I like everything at the right time. Later, Melfi explains why they're incompatible. It's a great scene. He pushes her, tell me, it's okay, like, I, I'm, I can take it. Why couldn't Tony handle her real talk, though? He asked for it. You're not a truthful person. You're not respectful of women. You're not really respectful of people. I don't love people. Maybe you love them, I don't know. You take what you want from them by force, or the threat of force. I couldn't live like that. I couldn't bear witness to violence or- Fuck you! You fucking cunt! What do you think she said to him that struck a nerve and made him? Well, she said, "I don't like your values, man. I don't like. I don't like. I don't. I couldn't stand them. Watch your violence and the way you take things. Like those are things that's important to him. It's, it's all facts, system. though. It's all facts, right? Yeah, but he was like, "Fuck you." Yeah, it's like so that's what he was offended by. That she was. Judging. It got too real. It got too. You know, real. What I mean, it was almost like it got too real. She went from not judging him and being just kind of like this per this sounding board, you know. This prism who can, like, just feed stuff back to him and it become a, a conversation to basically just being like, yo, you're disgusting. What'd you like about this episode? Watching it again after a long time, was there anything signature about it? I don't know, you know what I mean? I think complications between him and Carmella and the marriage, and you know, and Dialogue. like you said, the Johnny Sachs, like, jockeying for power and 
you know, you realize all these people are like these moving parts and everybody kind of wants the same thing, you know. But those, those are things that felt signature. Did it age well? You watched it again? Did it Did it feel... I mean, like, I don't feel compelled to sit down right now and watch the rest of the series. Okay. So, you know what I mean? But, yeah. but, I mean, it definitely didn't age poorly. What Sopranos episodes still stand out for you today? You mentioned a couple... Yeah, we talked about the one where Tony got shot and yeah. he was having the dream, and I remember the horse in the living room, yeah. right? Was he on the horse? Do you remember his mother? I do, man. Who was that? Liv- Nancy Marchand? Yeah, yeah, Livia yeah. Soprano. Yeah, that's right. Do you remember that dynamic between them? Yeah, in season one, I do remember um, that. Vaguely, I wasn't. Vaguely. Yeah, because I wasn't so into the show in season one. I think I picked it up later, like around season two, and then I got progressively more into it as well. Was it appointment on. TV yeah. for you? I think so. I mean, I don't even think we had DVR back then, no, right? No. So it's I think story. I'm trying to remember. I guess I did show up for it, yeah. With your affiliation with HBO, did you ever go to any Sopranos events? Sopranos events. No, but I think I was invited. You know, we did their, their last season that they came back and did those eight episodes. Yeah. We did eight episodes to an entourage as a companion to, to those follow them. Eight. Did we follow them or were we you, lead in? I can't remember. You came on after them. Right. So they were our lead in. So we, we, that was the year we made 20, which was really stressful. And it was because... Because they gave us an opportunity to be on after Sopranos and we wanted to pick up a larger audience. Yeah. That's why I fell in love with Entourage because it was the perfect nightcap right. to The Sopranos. Right. Because The Sopranos, you're kind of like holding the table and watching. Right. And then with Entourage, you could just kind of like chill back yeah. and just Which be like, Yeah, what it was, man. It was just chill it, out. It was just shit. chill yeah. out. But it was, yeah. per- it was a perfect companion right. to that show. Right. Well, I'd like seasons. to just be the king of chill out shit. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, you no, just go, was, like, like I watch it and I just chill the fuck out. Yeah. Ballers wasn't very chill though. Ballers was pretty Ballers, tense. Yeah, it was a lot of drive to it, you know, and um big stakes, big wants, big players, big wants, big, wants. big conflict, you yeah. Know? Yeah. Lightning round. Coming down to the wire here. Thank you for indulging me in these questions about a show that you've seen once. Yes. And thank fantastic. you for and thank you for watching the episode. I, I know that I've given absolutely nothing of value no, you today. That Look, I'll tell like, you I'll tell you what wow, your, I'll I'm ta- so glad that guy was on. Like, yeah. I'll tell you what your value is. You are a creator and you're a writer and you're a producer and you're a director and you think about these things in a way that I don't and you think right. in a way that the average listener doesn't. So whatever insight you give is valuable. You're right. you're, you're you're opining on it from a from a high level. Right. So thank you for that. Of course. Man. Um, last good thing you read, article, book, or whatever, or script even. Oh, I'm, uh, I just started a new book, so. What are you reading? What I'm is reading, it called? Uh, Bob Biger's book. Oh, I just finished it. Right, so I'm just starting it. It's good. That's a, that will be the first book I've read probably in like a year and a half. Uh, last film you enjoyed, really enjoyed. Last film I really enjoyed. Well, you know, I mean, again, I suck. I, I didn't see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I haven't seen The Irishman yet. So? All my screeners are going to start to come in, so I'll catch up on them. But, I mean, shit, if I if I was being honest, I mean, I'm watching kids' movies, bro. You know what I mean? What's your I'm kid a, into right now? What's his uh, favorite? I mean, we watch, like, Lion King. We watch Godzilla. We watch King Kong. How old we is watch, he? like... He's uh, going to be four in January. And you haven't started the Star Wars stuff with him yet? No, it, not yet. And Star Wars is going to be, that's going to be the yeah. best. Yeah, it's well, so that'd be great fun. because I've never seen any Star Wars except for the first one. What? I've never seen The Empire Strikes Back. I've never seen any Star Wars. Oh, my God. I only saw the first Star Wars. Dude, Nate and I are obsessed with The Mandalorian right now. Which oh, is really? The, it yeah. is so good it's show, and it's right? so special. It's an adult Star Wars. Yeah. But you can watch it with your kid. 
I'm right. watching it with Sammy, and we're both like, we're like fanboying out right. on it. Okay. You, it, Star Wars is fine. We, I started, I started the Star Wars stuff with him when he was, I think, when he was like four and a half. Right. So you're getting close. Yeah, I mean, my listen, my kid, my kid, like it's crazy, man, because he'll look at things and he wants to watch it over and over again, and like. We're watching, uh, it's the Peter Jack. I think it's the Peter Jackson, King Kong. Yeah. And I hear him, he's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'm like, and I'm watching the screen, I'm looking at him, he's like, mm-hmm. and I'm like, are, are you humming the soundtrack, the score? He's like, huh? Like, he's, it's crazy. Like, he knows the music. It's he so knows cool. the dialogue. Like, he's... You know what I do when he's... He's really into it. And that's that's the way I was about films when I was a kid. I would find something I like and watch it a hundred times. Yeah. I love to watch them watching. If you've Me seen too. It, just watching their facial reactions. It's, the, it's like a gift. It's like the yeah. gift. They say, yeah. ask you about fatherhood or parenthood. Being able to, like, take in experiences that you've already had with right. them and to witness their reactions... It is priceless. Yeah, I forgot what we watched last weekend. Not the weekend that just passed, weekend before that, but I, I bought another movie that he had watched his mom's. And I remember, like, I literally lasted, like, five minutes. And I was just out like a light. And it was already, like, it was, like, 9.30 when I started it. Yeah. I'm like, this kid ain't making it through this. Has he seen the, have you seen the toys, the Toy Story movies with him? Yeah. Those, ones, yeah, those are emotional. The first one. Those are yeah. hard. Those are heavy for. So the first one, that's yeah. with Tom Hanks, right? Yeah. yeah. So, them. no, but we were watching something. He made me put it on at 9.30. I bought him this movie. I'm like, no, this kid's making it through, and I pass out. And the next thing I know, he's tapping on me. And he's like, movie's over. Can you put on Godzilla? <laughs> and I'm like, I look at my, my phone. I'm like, dude, it's, fuck, it's fucking 11.30, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't say fucking. No, of course but, not. Yeah, but you're not thinking. Him. It. I was like, yeah, I was like, I was like, yeah, it's eleven thirty. Like, what are you doing? He's like, just put it on, man. <laughs> he didn't say it like that, but he was like, you know, he's like, just put it on. And I was like, all right. And then I woke up in the middle of the night. Godzilla was still going. He was passed out. But. Yeah, they always fall asleep. We have a policy: Friday nights, he can go as late as he wants on movies. Just yeah. go, just go. So I'm, like, I'm like that with my kids with me. Like, I don't, you know, movies, I don't, man. I don't, you know, he's with his mom most of the time. So for me, it's like. You know, obviously, everything within reason, but you're I want to spend be, time gonna, with them. You're going to be like Tony in this episode, getting them the drum set. You're going to yeah, of course. do the extra stuff. I, obviously, I'm a Disneyland dad. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just do the good shit, not the hard stuff. Kidding. Show. I'm very, I am very big disciplinarian. I believe in that, man. You got standards. You went to a prep school. You probably came from a... Uh, you know, no, I mean, I was in... I mean, I, I went to a prep school because I got thrown out of my public high school. So, But that's a whole different fucking podcast. <laughs> you know? Different Pandora's that's a, box. Yeah, that's, a, that's a different thing, but... No, I'm a, like from a like a listen, man. Obviously, I, you know, I consider anybody with a roof over their head and some, you know, and food in the belly to come from a privileged existence to a yeah. degree. But you know, I just, uh, I mean, my dad was, you know, he was Sopranos esque in his own way. What did your dad do? He was actually a like he did a lot of things, but my dad was actually a collector for the Vegas casinos and picking up the markers in the '70s. So if you lost money at like the Dunes, Sahara, Aladdin. And you're in the tri-state area, like they they would call my dad. He'd come so, collect. Yeah, he was a collector. So wow. he did that. And then then he did a bunch of other stuff. He was a junkie. He ran a big junket business too to Vegas. So interesting. Yeah. What was his name? Carl. What show are you into right now? What show am I into? I, I am always into Dateline. 
Dateline, Dateline, Dateline. And if you ask like people who do real true crime shows, they go, that is the shittiest of the shit. It's the worst, man. I fucking love it, man. Is it a childhood thing? Like, has it been? Have you no, been I just, I don't know. I fucking love it. Like, I'm always like, oh, give me my Dateline shit. It's you like the fun- score, the, the cheesy score. Oh, and- what secrets those woods would tell. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking hysterical, man. But what about serialized I mean, it's not show. hysterical. People are dying on it, but it's like, the way they do it is like, you know, the format and the magazine style of it. Um, what am I watching? What have I just been watching that I like? I mean, like all the Ozarks. Like I see all the Netflix stuff. Ozarks legit. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything on HBO I like. What do you like as much as I like The Sopranos? Is there anything? What are the things that I love as much as you love that? Um, that I could watch over and over again. I mean, when I was a kid, man, growing up straight through my 30s, I could watch the sitcom Taxi. Okay. Like, I could see every episode yeah. of that show a hundred times. Have you watched it recently? No. Would you ever do it? Would you ever go back and watch it? As like a, yeah, a hundred percent. Like a thought but exercise? Me and, Doug, me and Doug had referenced it tons of times, man. Okay. The same way we'd reference Goodfellas on, on Entourage, you yeah. know? What inspires you? Well, what motivates me or what inspires me? What inspires you when you wake up in the morning today? I mean, I'm always driven to be better, you know, and that's across the board of my life. Like, I just want to be better. I want to look better. I want to feel better. I want to be better shape. I want to be more successful, you know. It's just uh, I want to be a better person. I want to be in better relationships. I want to eat better. You, you know, I think you get what I'm going for here, but it's like I'm just driven by that, you know, and, and what I do Self-improvement. For- inspires you for sure and part of what i do for a living now especially with the responsibility of having a son is just you know i'm driven to not wind up in a position like i was in 25 years ago when or 15 years ago you know what i mean where things were hard for me out here yeah so it's just you know driven to find some sense of security and you know i'm still i'm I'm always still like searching like oh what do i want to do right now you know my show's over do i want to do another show do i want to go make a movie you know do i want to Focus on somebody's tech interest. There's, a, there's always something, you know? Beautiful segue. Finally, you just came off a successful five-season run of Ballers. What's next for Rob Weiss? What are you thinking about? What are you excited about? What's in the hopper? We're collaborating on a podcast together. Right. What else is percolating in your mind right now? You know, I mean, I think, like, look, I'm, I'm in the middle of writing a half hour for HBO right now. Me and Levinson, Steve Levinson, are writing a new one that I'm pretty excited about. I really like the space it's in, even though I can't get into it right now. Of course. But, but something's coming. Um, for sure, for from sure. The, that, from the team be that brought you thing. ballers. But there'll be more things. Like I expect yeah. out another script with a bunch of guys I really like. And, you know, I'm always looking at different things. And like I said, I'm trying to, you know, decide if I actually want to, you know, throw my hat in the ring of making, you know, a movie go do something like that but but really i think what i'm doing is um i'm coming off of that five that five years and i'm looking at you know this particular period as kind of like a a little bit of a recharge and a little bit of a uh just self-improvement rebrand i stopped drinking 16 weeks ago not that i I was ever a crazy drinker but i also wasn't not a crazy drinker how's that going by the way it's going fantastic, you know? I mean, I feel great about it. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this to, like, make a little leap personally right now and not just make it about what I'm creating, but about, you know, who I am. So I'm just I'm doing that. And that's, you know, obviously what our podcast is about, is in, at least in part, is, uh, you know, 
people. Um, Finding answers to burning questions. Yeah, I don't know what that means, man, but I, but I love that. But I think it's burning questions about what's going on inside of you, right? It's yeah. like about, about self-awareness and self-improvement and, you know, and people um, having, you know, the courage to share and not create all these stigmas of shame around addiction or, you know, insecurity and anxiety and all these things that people think like, oh, I shouldn't share that when, you know, it's, it's, there are more people walking around with this very similar issues than there are not. So, and I think people, once people accept that, then maybe they could have this kind of discourse that, you know, starts to dispel some of that mythology. It's really amazing what you said. It's one of the reasons why podcasts are so wildly successful right now. You have an opportunity to speak on a one-to-many level right. about real stuff. Right. Um, and we talked about it earlier about how one of the benefits of therapy is verbalizing things. Right. And just in doing this project, I've talked about a lot of personal stuff about my life and one of right. the reasons why I'm in therapy. And it has impacted, it has basically been permission for the listener to say, hey, I can feel like that too. Dude, I, That's my, insane. My shrink, my shrink, like, like and again, you retired from at least, the, you know, doing uh, kind of like, you know, patient sessions, therapy therapy sessions a couple of years ago because he's, he's written books, stuff like that. But I remember like a bunch of years ago when I was there with him, he was like, uh, this year for your birthday, you should give yourself permission to say whatever you want, you know? And I was like, oh, man, I, I really liked the way he said that. So I did that. I gave myself permission to say whatever I wanted to say, and I did that for the year. And then I was like, fuck it, I'm going to give myself the same gift again for, like, the next birthday. You so know? it was a good gift. Yeah, it's, no, what I'm saying is, like, I, it's stuck, you know? It's like, listen, man, if you feel it, say it. I don't really I don't really get embarrassed by that much shit, you know? I mean, unless I say things that I don't really mean. Rob, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. For sure, brother. Thank you for watching The Sopranos. This project means a lot to me personally. And uh, the last couple of se- the last two seasons, I'd like to sit down with as many different voices as I can. Um, and you are the first official outside the box voice, so it's an awesome, honor and a privilege, brother. man. Thank you, man. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me there.